This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, really excited to be joined across the way. Mr. Jeff Abercrombie back in the saddle with me. Jeff, welcome back. Since we last did this together, you went on your little sports weekend. You got to see that ND Ohio State game. I know it's two weeks since since that game happened, but welcome back. S- share some thoughts on, on one of the best college football games of the, of, of the you know first half of the college football season so far. I mean, yeah. First of all, that game was instant classic. Um, second of all, you know, I didn't have any stake in the in the game, but I was I was there with. Notre Dame fans. I got my tickets thanks to Notre Dame fans. I was rooting for Notre Dame, and it was just, I mean, it it was such an instant classic. I, you know, loved how, like, I love the game regardless, but, uh, you know, wish it was Notre Dame coming out on top. Uh, But, man, that environment, I'd grown up in California, and we have Stanford, we have Cal, like, we have USC down there and everything, too, but California like we don't know how to do tailgating. We don't know that type of environment. And um yeah, man, it was a spectacle. That was something else. Um just, you know, the tailgating before the game, just the sea of people, the way that stadium was just rocking, um, the energy in that stadium. Everybody was super friendly too. We had some Ohio State fans in in our crowd. Um, you know, we had some good banter. Um yeah, you know, I was, you know, I was looking for, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., who was pretty much locked down that game. Notre Dame's got a really good, I think, an underclassman corner. Um, he might be draft eligible. I think it might be next year, though. Um, locking down Marvin Harrison Jr., looking at Sam Hartman being just the game, like a quintessential game manager, right? That's what that's what really stood out to me, that game. And so watching Notre Dame the next couple of weeks and seeing him kind of take a step back from that, um, it was a, a little bit disappointing because I think that was a step forward. Uh, Notre Dame played better, um, and Ohio State came out with the win, and that's somehow how, sometimes how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been fortunate enough once to to be out there to South Bend and take in the whole experience, uh, like the lighting of the candles everywhere, watching the players. You know, from when they you know they come out, they go you know walk to the stadium, the whole thing. Uh, it, it's kind of a pretty surreal, you know, for a sports fan pretty surreal one of those things that's like should be on people's buckets list to, to watch a game in Notre Dame and take it all in so excited you got to take part of that unfortunately the outcome of that at the end you know it was something that you know it, it kind of set the wheels in motion if that game would have went a different way you know we we might have been talking about Notre Dame a little bit differently you know maybe that kind of set the wheels in motion here you know not after this weekend though yeah 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 <laughs> spoilers yeah, if 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 they won that game, though, who knows though, the momentum that that could have had moving forward? They, you know, that was a little bit of, you know, a, a hurt, you know, to the, you know, their playoff hopes, uh, and then you know, this past week was the final, you know, the final dagger. Uh, but yeah, excited that you got to take part in that. It, it was pretty cool. I I know I was looking forward to having you back on just to kind of share some quick thoughts on on taking in that game and and the experience and the whole thing that it was. College football, six weeks now in the book. NFL sees NFL week five, you know, wrapping up, you know, Sunday night football here. Your 49ers are, are, are really taking it uh, to the Dallas Cowboys as we're recording this. Uh, but let's jump right into the, you know, the NFL draft report for this week. And as always, we've been doing the NFL draft report with the SS teams of the week. So let's get right into it. Our first string team of the week. At the quarterback position, a name from the path, DJ Ulangale out of Oregon State, helped that Oregon State again with another impressive win. They beat Cal 52-40 this week, keep room for 275 yards and five touchdowns. Our first string running back of the week was Trey Benson out of Florida State. He upped the Seminoles to feed Virginia Tech 39-17. He had 11 carries for 200 yards and two touchdowns. First string wide receiver of the week, another blast from the path. Jermaine Burden out of out of Alabama. He Alabama beat Texas A and M twenty six twenty. Burden had nine catches, hundred and ninety seven yards, two touchdowns. That was like the game we've been waiting for since he transferred there. 
And then the tight end position, this is becoming a routine now, and it's hard to take them off this. First string tight end of the week, Brock Bowers of Georgia. They hand manhandled Kentucky, who was number 20th in the nation, 51 to 13. Bowers, seven catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown. Jeff, I know a couple of guys in here are guys that, that you think highly of, or once upon a time, we all thought highly of Jermaine Burden. So why, maybe some thoughts on Burden's performance, Trey Benson's performance. Uh, to kick this off. Well, I mean, it, these are the traits when they come together, you get performances like this. Um, I mean, even even DJ Uyunglele, right? You know, the type of, of we've seen the skills flash before, right? We, we've loved these players for a reason. You know, when they were names we were talking about and highlighting, you know, the college football landscape, you know, years ago. And then they've been quiet. Um, and so I think the biggest question is, is this them announcing their arrival? Um, I mean, I, I know DJ has been doing some pretty good work up in Oregon state there. You know, it's, it's the pack, it's the West coast. So people's, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's trucking away out here in, um, you know, no man's land, you know, without a bunch of eyeballs on him in prime time. But, um, you know, so he's, he's actually been putting together a pretty good season I, I don't know if that's going to be enough to to really crack into, you know, significant draft capital. But uh, you know, I still think there's, you know, a window of opportunity for Jermaine Burton if if he's able to really take a step forward. I think we'll we'll get to, um, you know, his battery mate once we get into the Debbie, you know, uh, you know the Debbie slant. But you know, Alabama hadn't looked like themselves this year. And part of that is they haven't had someone at wide receiver, you know, really step up and take the mantle. And so if Burton can do that this year, if Burton and Milrow can really develop that chemistry, take that step together at the next level and bring Bama back to a, an offense that just looks more familiar, right? It's it's shocking how discombobulated they look at times and then to you know to be able to kind of see fireworks happen i think this could really take jermaine burton back into you know top 100 draft capital if if we start seeing those skills you know we've talked about it right you you have those traits you have those skills we've talked about it with some of the quarterbacks sometimes you just need it to click and once it does you know you're you're off like a rocket and so that's going to be my question yeah, I think it's a valid question. And, you know, we, we, I remember when he first transferred there, like the expectations were really high. And, like, you know, new spot, like we, you know, we see some people come in and immediately hit the ground running. But Burton was still a very young, inexperienced player. Like it wasn't like Jordan Addison going from Pittsburgh, where he had like a hundred catch season, who was the focal point of the offense, going to USC and playing, you know, with Caleb Williams. It was a very, you know, it was a very different dynamic. Jermaine Burton was a guy who had, like, I think his best year in Georgia was, like, 27 catches or something, right? And it was just all about, like, Henshaw. And then last year, he didn't live up to that potential immediately. And, you know, in Alabama's pass offense just hasn't been what it's been, the, you know, prior to the, this year and last year. It's just not where it was where we expected when they were churning out all those elite wide receivers, uh, you know, elite wide receivers. And, you know, they had two and then they had Mac and like the, the, the past game was, you know, seamless, like, and they were just, you know, they were playing arcade, you know, putting up arcade style numbers. That wasn't the case, you know, over the last two years. And, you know, now we're, we're starting to see like, is this the game as this quarterback is developing this year? Is this the burden we might see? Does he take the mantle as the lead guy there? Cause I do think if, if that's the case, we could see a guy who maybe was looked at more as like a lead day pre type talent right now in the year started. And can he start climbing his way back? We know he has the Alabama now pedigree. We know he was a former, you know, I think it was four star or five star recruit. Like, so we're talking about a guy who had that, like who showed glimpses who last year was before the season started. Some people had him as like a one, two on, uh, on their draft boards in terms of, of potential. So does is this the thing that starts to move him up there? I, I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch. You know, Trey Benson, I know, is a, is a favorite of ball devourers. And I was on here the last, I think it was last week. And I was like, listen, he hasn't really shown out much. We sort of, we've seen some glimpses, you know, some, some runs that was like, there's the guy that we were looking for. But I think the bigger picture is, 
I think the running back position as a whole in, in terms of college football this year, in terms of the draft eligible guys, has been very ho-hum. Like, we've had some nice performances from, you know, Blake Corum. We've had a nice performance by Braylon Allen like and, and things like that. But we haven't had, like, the major running statistical performances that we sometimes see from the big-time runners in college football, you know, college football. We just haven't seen it. So we get a game like this, and I know, you know, Florida State was supposed to, you know, beat up on Virginia Tech, and and they did. And Benson's performance, again, shows why he's one of the top running backs. And I think there's a lot. It's very early in the race there in terms of who's the number one, the number two, number three. I, I, I don't think we're going to have much clarity on that until, you know, right around draft weekend because I, I, I could see a, a bunch of people in the mix depending on what they want. But, you know, Benson, you know, what we always like about Benson, you know, that contact balance, the footwork, like he's got really quick feet for a bigger guy, like the play strength and power to toughness, you know, the, the a runner capable of hitting a big play, even, you know, as not like a smaller shiftier guy, but a guy that, you know, wins with power, but also good vision. And the and like I said, quick feed for a guy that size. So it was nice to kind of see him put that. You mentioned Ulangale. He's really, he's one of those guys that we said it, I think, last time last year, like he needed a, a clean start, a fresh slate. And that's what he's getting here. And yeah, maybe he's not drawing the attention because it's Oregon State, but I think scouts, I'm sure, are paying attention. This is still a guy that has the size, the frame, the prototype, has the arm talent. We wanted to see consistency. We wanted to see growth and development as a natural passer. So he's starting to he's starting now to to stack up good performance games after good performance games. And I think he's gonna now be on the mix. Like he's now back to being, I think, a draftable player for sure. And I think there was a lot of questions how it how he went sideways in Clemson if he was ever going to get back to that. And now I think there's definitely some intrigue about him. You know, when he was at his absolute best, that one, you know, that one stretch with Clemson, and we thought he was going to maybe eventually become a star. You know, like there were so many glimpses to me of what I thought Dak Prescott was in college, just the size, the frame, the arm talent, off the takedown, you know, sit, you know, can fight off defenders in the pocket, can run, you know, but not going to be like that really fast runner, but more of a guy like who would be more of a red zone type runner. You know, I, I think those some of those traits are still there. And now if we can start putting the consistency together and if this, you know, new start for him, I, I think it's kind of fun to kind of see uh, him doing this this year. And, and it's kind of nice to see. Jeff, I've talked a lot about it. Let me yeah, just take us on a quick yeah. detour. Uh, yeah. Before we get into the second string, one of our, one of the, I think, blind spots of the way that we're doing this podcast now where we're doing um, teams of the week is, you know, we don't really get to talk about stock down much. Um, you know, we do a little bit when it gets to the NFL side, but uh, not as much on the college side. And you mentioned the running backs in general. Like, this was a blow-up game for Benson. We don't see much. I, I think Corum's really um, consistently made a mark. You know, I think if we're looking at running backs, I think Corum's, you know, because he was my running back three last year and he's just picked up where he left off, I think he headlines, you know, the group. With I think Benson and I, I still think Braylon Allen is just kind of a safe bet based on his, you know, size and production. Um, but after that, you know, like where is Raheem Sanders, right? Like I know he got hurt for a little bit there, but he hasn't even looked good outside of that. I know there were off season, um, you know, reports of him bulking up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I keep checking in on those those Arkansas games just to see if there's anything to see there and you know it, it just hasn't looked good yeah i like i said like i the running back group we might get to a point where i don't even know if there's a guy who gets selected in the top 50 and i wouldn't you know i wouldn't be surprised with that because usually to get selected in the top 50 as a running back you got to have some special traits i'm not sure it's a strong class in a lot of other areas quarterback offensive line supposed to be really good I think the wide receiver group is going to be really strong. So it's like, okay, like you have these other positions that are really strong. I don't know if anybody's standing out. And like you go up and down the rosters in the NFL, or there are a lot of teams looking to make an investment in the early second round. Even I think I don't even think it's a real consideration right now in round one. So you start to think, okay, is there a couple guys that could be in the mix early round two? And I'm not even sure. I think it might be more later round two and round three might end up being the sweet spot for running backs in this class, uh, you know, unlike last year where we had Bijan and Gibbs 
you know, go really high. And we'll talk about it again, again, later, Devin A. Chain, a guy who I thought would, should have been an early second, you know, fall all the way to the third round. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where this running back landscape takes because it, it just seems to be very quiet. It doesn't seem to be a running back rising up the ranks out of nowhere. But if anything, kind of like what you were saying, it's kind of been going the other way, almost like a stock down for almost the whole running back position in general. And then most of the individual ones, Donovan Edwards hasn't had the year we expected. Team Sanders hasn't had the year we expected. This was Benton's first really great game this year. Uh, you know, Braylon Allen's been good, but I don't think it's been like earth shattering. Like, you know, we expect him with that Wisconsin run game and that old line to be great. That hasn't really materialized yet. Like, so I, I think we're kind of waiting here and, and, Right now, nobody has kind of emerged that it's been a surprise. And then on the flip side, I think it's been more guys who haven't lived up to expectations so far at the running back position. And I think all the other positions probably have been the other way, guys rising up, but the running back position kind of kind of struggling and going back a little bit. So interesting that you brought that up. And I think you're right. It, it is one of those things where sometimes we don't get a chance to talk about the stock down. But I think the running back position as a whole is an area where it's worth discussing there for sure. So let me let me take this to the second string team of the week uh, at the quarterback position. He's becoming a regular on here. That's Jaden Daniels out of LSU. Uh, they beat Missouri 49-39. Uh, he had 130 yards rushing and a touchdown, but then another 253 yards passing and three touchdowns. Jaden Daniels continues to, you know, LSU has turned into a Odin high-octane offense. And like it was a little over a year ago, we were talking about their anemic offense, the first game in the season against part of the state last year. And, you know, and we're talking about Keishon Moody and all that stuff. And and now, like, a year later, they don't play any defense, but now they put up pinball arcade-style, you know, uh, offensive points. And a lot of that is attributed to their really talented wide receivers. But Jaden Daniels has really emerged as, as a, as a legitimate passer on top of his athletic ability to be a dual threat capabilities. Uh, second string running back of the week, Carson Steele, formerly of Ball State, transferred to UCLA, took Zach Charbonnet's, uh, filled, filled Zach Charbonnet's role this past week. They beat Washington State 25-17. He had 30 carries for 140 yards. Second string wide receiver of the week, Malachi Corley out of Western Michigan. Uh, they beat... Louisiana Tech, 35-28. He had eight catches, 207 yards, and three touchdowns. He's my favorite senior wide receiver. And at the tight end position, this is another week that he's on this list. Eric Hall out of Iowa. Uh, Iowa beat Purdue. He had five catches, 97 yards, and one touchdown. The former uh, Michigan tight end who last year was highly regarded going into last season and then kind of got hurt and then lost his you know relevant to Luke Shoemaker. Transfers to Iowa there, you know, supposed to, you know, kind of play alongside or behind Luke Lachey. And now Eric Hall really emerging there to be the guy that last year, some people thought was a round three, round four type tight end prospect. And Iowa continues uh, to have tight end there that produce. Jeff, any thoughts on, on the emergence of Jaden Daniels or, or either? Yeah, that's the big there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think... Uh... I'll 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 issue an apology. I think I owe Jaden Daniels a little bit of an apology for uh you know saying Kayshawn Booty had a date uh, Jaden Daniels problem because maybe it really was the other way around. You know what what looked like you know at this point last year was you know Jaden Daniels bailing out of the pocket too soon, um, you know not trusting reads and the play structure, trying to just make everything happen on his own. You know just missing you know booty like by miles but i don't know maybe that wasn't maybe booty wasn't running the right routes I, i'm not you know he clearly you know is not the player that i think we thought you know we were looking at a year ago and i think Jaden daniels is i think more of a player you know than we were looking at a year ago and i think that's mostly a testament to the growth that he's made over that time right like you know he wasn't playing this good last year and and he's really shouldering. The offense is good in in LSU, not because Malik Neighbors is a superstar, which he is, but because Jaden Daniels is running up the offense exceptionally well. He's he's just found the right blend of his athleticism and you know playing quarterback through the traditional you know passing structure too. Right, I mean, 130 rushing yards is is amazing. 
Um, but he's doing it with his arm now as well. He's, he's not just this athlete. Um, and to me, you know, I'm seeing this Jalen Hurts style path for him. I, I, he's going to be extremely interesting um, to see who's going to give a give him a shot, who's going to put him in the quarterback room, and just what does that what could that look like in two or three years? Right, like Jalen Hurts got drafted behind Carson Wentz, almost former MVP, had he not got hurt and bringing himself out of town now we're graced with the superstar that that Jalen Hurts is you know I think um it'll be really fascinating to see just how hot like how far can can Jaden Daniels push this right like can he push himself all the way to the back around one I'm, I'm not sure but um I know he's going to be uh making a few waves you know in the quarterback room for some NFL team yeah, I think you you kind of said it best there. For earlier in his career, Jane Daniels was an athlete playing quarterback that once in a while would show a impressive trade passing wise. And now it's more he's a quarterback who also is a good athlete. And I think that's the difference. That's how far his passing and development has came, you know, since he started out his career at Arizona State and then obviously transferred to LSU last year. And I think now at his time at LSU, we really see him morph into a more of a complete quarterback. And listen, maybe he's not in the mix to be QB three, but I think he's not squarely in the mix to be in day two. And that is a dramatic improvement from like we talked about last year when last year when we first started talking about him, he was probably looked at as like a late round or UDFA type quarterback prospect. And, and now he's materialized into a guy who I think is a legitimate day two prospect. Um, and who knows? Like like you said, like teams could look at him and if they still continue to think that there's a trajectory upward in terms of his upside and ceiling as a passer, and you combine that with his athleticism and, and the movement capabilities, you know, who's to say he can't continue to climb up, up draft boards as well? Uh, some other guys there of intrigue, you kind of mentioned there, well, Carson Seal's an interesting one because he's a really good athlete, even though he's a a really big guy, you know, he was on Bruce Feldman's freak list, you know, first two years of college, he played at Ball State, you know, and then he takes over that Zach Charbonnet role. And, you know, I kind of been waiting for him to, to have a big game here. And he carried a heavy workload for UCLA this week, to pull off the win over Washington State. Malachi Corley, he's going to be an interesting one because, you know, he's 5'11", but he's like 210, 215. So, like, he's a guy, like, who's bouncing off people, you're going to, you know, you're going to hear the name. I, I, I don't, you know, I love Debo coming out and I don't want to compare anybody to Debo, but you're going to hear that name. It's going to be out there just based on the body type alone and the ability to like get him the ball in a lot of different ways, you know, screens, you know, ball passes, touch passes, end around, jet sweeps, all that stuff. Like he is the Western Kentucky offense and other teams know it. And he's still producing like this West week, eight catches, 207 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I think he'll be the best wide receiver down at Mobile. So he's the, he's a guy that I just don't think coming from Western Kentucky is getting a lot of, you know, Twitter buzz and national buzz. But but I think he's going to be a guy who's going to find his way into the round, into day two somewhere, probably on round three, uh, as one of the, maybe the, maybe the, the, the first senior wide receiver taken, I, I think it's definitely in, in play for Malachi Corley. Jeff, any, any final thoughts there before maybe a couple honorable mention names before we take it over to the Debbie team of the week? No, let's save some time for these honorable mentions. I think they deserve it. Um, I'll go ahead and, and sure. pull them off here. Drake May, um, we've heard his name on this list before. I mean, he had an incredible game. It was against Syracuse, but, you know, 442 yards, three touchdowns, and looking good doing it, right? You know, really layered passes over the middle. Um, you know, bringing out some trademark uh, arm talent that that we've seen before from him. You know, I mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. in my intro. Um, they beat Maryland, um, but eight for one sixty three and one. He's a superstar, and he will be as soon as he hits the NFL field. Um, you know, a new name here, Jamari Thrash out of Louisville. Right? You know, again, tease Notre Dame. You know, Louisville beat Notre Dame this past weekend. Um, 33 to 20 and you know Jamari Thrash had eight for for 75 and a touchdown um I think on the year now he's he's up over 500 yards six touchdowns so he's really putting together a great season for Louisville 
Um, Louisville's entered the, 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 the conversation at the race this past weekend and, and proved they belong, uh, taking it to Notre Dame. Yeah, I think, you know, Bresh is an interesting one because he was on my watch list in the summer. And what we've seen now, Louisville, first off, much better team than I think we anticipated, you know, as a statement win than being Notre Dame. And he's now a guy who's a guy who's really emerging here as a guy who was garnering no attention before the season started. And now he's he's a hot name in, in terms of the wide receivers. Uh, you know, I was listening to, you know, uh the uh the Trevor Blank on the name Connor Rogers uh, and uh, Trevor Sigma and their draft podcast. And he was a name that they brought up last week as well as the guy who's really emerging. And then he comes out this week and a big game against Notre Dame. And then, you know, you look at his seasonal statistics, 30 catches already, 519 yards, six touchdowns. Like that's an impressive, you know, opening, you know, handful of five, six games here uh, for Parash. And that Louisville team better than we expected. Big win like we we just talked about. So I think he's a name to really keep on our radar as the season progresses. That Brash is an interesting guy who's going to kind of throw himself into the mix. The wide receiver, you know, rankings are going to be really intriguing. Because I think, you know, while we've had a lot of questions at the running back position, it's going to be another really, really strong group at the wide receiver position. And it's fun to kind of get some new names in the mix here. First time we're talking about Corley on the season show. And then first time we're talking about Brash at all. Uh, not even a name really mentioned, you know, in the preseason as well either. So let me take this over to the Debbie plan for this week. And again, three names that we're, we're going to bring up here, uh, you know, for our Debbie team of the week. First one is Jalen Milrow again. He's been the quarterback now consecutive weeks out of Alabama. Beat Texas A&M. Uh, he was 21 of 33, 321 yards and three touchdowns, continuing that growth and development. The performance by Burden, you know, aided that this past week. We're seeing him morph into the the, the, high, the quarterback prospect that I think Alabama wants and needs him to be. Uh, Tad McMillan out of Arizona. They lost, Arizona lost a heartbreaker to USC, 43-41. He had six catches, 138 yards. And I can't stop putting him on the list because Luther Burden, every single week, they lost that, that uh, high-scoring game to LSU. But he had another 11 catches, 149 yards like we're seeing Ted McMillan Luther Burden just week in and week out put up these statistical performances that even when so many of these guys go to uh, go to the NFL and get drafted the wide receiver you know ranks are still absolutely loaded with high-end elite type talent to just emerge as the next class of guys and and McMillan and Burden are for sure going to be two guys that when we do our summer shows next year we're talking about right near the top of, you know, 2025 wide receiver ranks. Uh, that's how special these two are. Jeff, any thoughts on, you know, the growth and development we've seen from Milrow or, you know, the, the pure excellence uh, from McMillan and Burden? Yeah, well, you know, Burden as a true freshman, you know, was getting by on, on some, you know, athleticism, just I'm better than you, but he's very quickly became a much more well-rounded player and you know again it's we've talked about how wonderful marvin harrison jr is but uh you know i think luther burden is just kind of you know ready to headline you know the class the next year um but you know jalen milrow i think is a fascinating story because i think he got benched after week one or two and um that you know that's we saw Alabama just wasn't playing their best. I think uh, Milrow just had one or two real boneheaded interceptions, right? He, he threw it like right to, you know, the line black backer coming in to to pick off the slot screen or, or something like that. But other than that, I actually thought he played really well. Um, you know, I thought he was making good decisions. You know, I thought he was, you know, playing quarterback within the pocket really well. You know, I thought he was reading the field really well. And so... I'm really glad that he's made his way back to the starting lineup, you know, is really, again, we, we said it like maybe piloting Bama back to a bit of a semblance of what we've seen, you know, when they were putting together undefeated seasons and, you know, just the benchmark against of the benchmark of elite competition, um, you know, they're not there yet, but, you know, Nero is a, is a player that I think could take them there. And, uh, and I, again, this is, this isn't the first step. This is just another step in that progression. 
yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're spot on. Like, you know, we saw how much he struggled early in the year. You know, we got benched at one game and then, or, or didn't start the next game. And now we're seeing him fight back, win that quarterback position handily, you know, handedly. Uh, and we're starting to see the player who I think Alabama expects him to be. It's kind of fun to kind of see him morphing into this player who is going to be maybe the guy who kind of takes Alabama back to having that type of offense that they were having. And we're starting to see glimpses of it week in and week out, him become more comfortable, you know, winning from the pocket, making plays out off structure uh, and another impressive performance there. They, yeah, and again, just to interject, like, you know, he losing your starting job is a, a tremendous ego blow for any quarterback, right? Like, you know, we see, you know, what that's done to Zach Wilson at times. And, and we see, like, it is not an easy thing to come back from. And just to go ahead and just absolutely, like, take that job right back. I didn't think he was playing bad enough to just get benched. You know, he made a couple bad mistakes. But, like, you know, that's, you expect that from, you know, from someone just, you know, picking up the position. But, um, you know, I, you know, a real credit to, I think, the tenacity and um, just the makeup of Jalen Milrow to just say, you know, just say, no, that's my job and, and just take it right back. Um, you know, it, that's a, I think that you don't often get a chance to, especially us, like we don't get to interview these, um, you know, these athletes, we don't get to, to talk to them at all. And so you have to look at stuff like this to really read into kind of the makeup of a, you know, of a player. And, and it's just, to me, it's a, it's a huge testament. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's gonna be fun to kind of watch him the rest of the year. Obviously Alabama will have some big, big games as the season progresses for sure. Let's spin this to the NFL side of things. You know, week five in the books for the most part, besides Monday Night Football left to be played. Uh, so let's that go game's right to- over, by the way. Yeah, I just saw the finale. Yeah, so let's go, let's go to the NFL rookie report for this week. Uh, unfortunately, Anthony Richardson suffered a shoulder injury. It did not look good. The x-rays were negative, but I, I, I expect him to be out for a little time. That looked like a dislocation. He was kind of, his shoulder was just kind of dangling when he went off the field. He can't seem to stay on the football field when he is. He's fantastic. But early, you know, the way he plays, the reckless abandon, you know, he opens himself up for a lot of hits. Uh, he's very big and powerful and strong. Uh, but right now, the early going, he he's having a hard time getting through a game uh, without suffering an injury. At the running back position, Devin A. Chain just keeps doing it. I mentioned it last week. There, the Giants were going to have no answers for that Miami offense and slowing down their speed, and that played out, you know, as as I expected. Eleven carries, hundred and fifty one yards, and a touchdown. Ty J. Spears emerging, uh, eleven touches this week total, uh, about seventy yards and a touchdown. So he's a guy who continues to see a lot of work for Tennessee in, in that backfield alongside Derrick Henry. And then Jalen with Lachlan uh, got a big a big bump up and roll this week with Javante Williams out. Uh, he had nine carries for 68 yards and then three catches, 21 yards at a touchdown. The undrafted, you know, little speedster uh, really looks like Sean Payton may have found himself like his new version of Darren Sproles is what they've been saying. Uh, but like McLaughlin was impressive today when he's gotten touches this year, ha- has looked good. Wide receiver, Josh Downs, six catches, 97 yards. He's just, he's just emerging. And, and this is not a surprise for me. Like, you know, I was on record of saying like, I didn't think there was a two round disparity between, you know, Jordan Addison and Dave Flowers to Josh Downs. And right now, Josh Downs is, you know, again, the difference might be that he's more limited to the slot. Well, those guys can play outside and maybe it's as simple as that when the NFL evaluated these guys. Uh, but, but Downs is a guy who's quickly emerging in that indie pass offense to be a reliable you know, target for whoever's quarterbacking. And I think he's a guy who could have 80, 90 catch upside uh, as, as one of the focal points of a pass offense out of the slot. And then Sam Laporta, I mentioned it last week, so maybe Jeff can kind of give his stance. You know, another two touchdowns this past week. I don't know how high, I don't know how high is too high when you're talking about a guy like Laporta right now in, in just dynasty tight end ranks, because you can really poke holes in just about everybody above him. Uh, so I, you know, if somebody wants to make an argument to have him at third, I, I, I can buy it. If someone wants to have him at fourth or fifth. Okay. 
you know, but like if you don't have them in a like five, six, seven range, I, I think I think you're not you're 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 being too slow uh to move him up your ranks because of the job he's done and, and the age and stuff and the the issues that some of the other ones at near the top uh have that that make them a little inconsistent and hold them back at times as well. So Jeff, I'll kind of open the floor there for you. I had yeah. a lot about H chain, so I, I don't like, think there's any more to be said, man. <laughs> he's he's got juice. He, he again, you, you've, I think you've said it again. If he's a ten to twelve touch guy, sometimes that's all it takes, and you could bust a seventy five yard run um, for my opponent against me this week. But you know, it, that's okay. It's really fun to see a chain. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing people talk about top five, top six. You know, dynasty running back. I, I think. People are pretty rookie crazy for that, but you know, he's proven to, I, I think it's still, I would still want uh Jameer Gibbs long run, but I think he's proven himself to be in that tier and in that conversation, um, you know, when it comes to fantasy and, and I don't, obviously you're going to be want to play in a chain right now uh, this year over Gibbs. Um, but I do want to take a little bit of uh, time to one, just highlight, you know, Ty J Spears, uh, you know, I think a favorite from, you know, we had Matt Waldman on, and that was kind of one of his glowing reviews. You know, Ty J Spears, Jaleel McLaughlin, they're the drumbeat of the offseason, right? You know, we heard the teams love these players. Ty J Spears is, he, he doesn't have an ACL. He doesn't need an ACL. Um, I, think, I think you're going to see him run out this rookie contract and provide meaningful value. I think we'll talk about it. We'll talk about him a little bit later too, because I think we're gonna in the dynasty report we're gonna contrast, you know, him and and Derrick Henry. But you know that I think that leads me to you know really just give glowing reviews for Jaleel McLaughlin. Right, he he's found his way onto all of my dynasty rosters, and that's because you know Sean Payton just could could not stop talking about this guy every practice, every day of every off season. Even when he's sitting third string behind Javante Williams and Samaj P. Ryan in snaps, he's still talking about Jaleel McLaughlin and trying to get him play. And this was the window of opportunity. Jaleel McLaughlin out uh, outproduced, outtouched Samaj P. Ryan. Might have outsnapped him. I, I don't think we have the snap numbers yet. Um, but he looked good too. Right? He looked really good doing it. He got a touchdown through the air. He got uh, 90 yards he got on 12 touches. Uh, he looks electric. I, I think there's not going to be one singular running back within Denver that just, you know, has all of the opportunity. They're going to play that. He, we've seen Sean Payton do that in New Orleans, right? Where, you know, he has a mixture of complementary um, skill sets. I think what you're going to see is Jaleel McLaughlin work his way in as the complementary back and probably be really productive because that's the track record uh Sean Payton has with when it comes to a running game is is he gets the most out of out of his running backs they score a lot of points in as a position and you're going to divide that up a little bit but McLaughlin is going to be well I think he's going to be making you know Samaj P Ryan pretty obsolete pretty quickly yeah listen I I in one league I was in I was in a I was in yeah a spot with some tough buys in McLaughlin and ninth of the yeah, I had him. I had him running this week too. Same thing. Week five buys were were rough. Yeah, and it did, and 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 listen, I was aggressive because you know I'd gotten off to a slow start, and but in the dynasty setting, I, I felt it was warranted to be aggressive, and I mm-hmm. put in a bid for like forty three dollars out of my one hundred, and and I got him, and he's one of the reasons why I think I'm gonna get the W this week. But it's not even just about that; it's more. I was willing to be that aggressive, not just for a one-week fill-in, but because of what you were just saying, that I think there's some staying power here. And I'm not saying he's going to make Javante Williams irrelevant, who, you know, is already back from his injury, I think, earlier than maybe we expected. And he might round into form later this year, or even might take him over the next year. But I think we see there's enough two backfield, you know, teams now in the league. That's the, that's the norm almost, that I think a guy like McLaughlin could be one of those guys that yeah you get him 10 to 12 touches but he could be viable in that in in fantasy because of the 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 high octane that he brings and the pass catching ability brings and the open field ability that he brings so i think mclaughlin's got some staying power that you know he's a guy that that i'm intrigued with 
uh, before we go over to the the dynasty, yeah, one well, part of question, yeah, yeah. So I, I honestly, I think you can rank um, probably as high as you want, right? If if you <laughs> want to rank him one, I don't think I can make a compelling argument. You know, you could make that compelling argument to me, um, and I'd say you know you've got you've got good points there, right? I mean, he's a rookie. You know, his age relative to a Mark Andrews, especially a Travis Kelsey. I mean, his production is just insane right now. I, you know, he's a rookie. Um, you know, I think immediately, so there's, you know, there's Kelsey, there's Andrews, you know, those are some conversations. I, I think Hawkinson kind of fits in the same mold generally. Um, you know, I think we're probably a little bit more certain about Detroit as a franchise, um, you know, in the next few years as, than we are you know, Minnesota and not knowing what they're going to do with Kirk Cousins, whatnot. So, um, yeah, if you want to do Laporta over Hawkinson, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, if you want to do, uh, Laporta over Kyle Pitts, you know, I know we saw Kyle Pitts have, you know, a pretty good game this last week, but, you know, talk about someone who's had all the promise and not delivered yet, right? Uh, Lots of, lots of, uh, conversation to go around that then context to talk about, but, you know, Laporta's, doesn't have he doesn't have that excuse is to be made for him or conversation he's just right there doing it right now you know already at the promise um yeah if you wanted him one that's fine if you wanted him three no problem with it if you if you still use kind of george kittle mr three touchdown game this week um he's still i think one of the most talented tight ends in the league but you're not going to get the usage Dallas Goddard had a great game that, you know, this week as well. You know, I think he's got some arguments if you want to take Dallas Goddard in there. Um, Titans just, I, I was actually going to be one of our other uh, conversations on the dynasty report too. So it was, we were going to talk about the, the tight end landscape and what that looked like. And I think this is kind of that natural conversation. Why don't we just take this to the NFL dynasty report? But, but real quick, who would you rather have Laporta or Pitts? Yeah, listen, I, 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 I still have pits. I rank, I re re ranked and updated like a week or two ago, and I I moved up him. I even moved up Kincaid. Uh, I still had Laporta behind, like the Pitts, Kittle, Goddard, but but they, my argument is starting to like my reasoning is starting to, to not be as strong and not be as sound because he's doing this as a rookie, and yes. I know there's been circumstances, right? Jameson Williams is going to back in the fold and they got to integrate him back. And they haven't really done a lot with Jameer Gibbs just yet. And, you know, in this past week, Amon Ra was out. Like, so like, I think I was a little bit hesitant to go until I saw them more at full strength and, and then see what his role and usage was before I started saying, oh, his usage is, you know, so much better than George Kittle or, and stuff like that. And, and then the Kyle Pitts argument is like naturally talented wise. We've seen, you know, Kyle Pitts had a thousand yards his rookie year. That's no, you know, that, that's no, you know, nothing to joke around about for a tight end. And then it's just been like really horrid quarterback play and usage for Kyle Pitts, you know, and some of it might be on him. And but we don't really know there. I think it's incredible. It's for as uh, Johnny Smith, like he's, he's kind of like <laughs> splitting those targets. And, yeah. Um, I mean, hey, if Kyle, like they both got nine targets this this past weekend, I think. Hey, if Kyle Pitts was getting 18 targets, he'd be the number one tight end, like hands down. Um, a tight end, it, again, like we've said it again, it's it's such a hard position to really nail because, you know, this scheme just is so important for how relevant they are on a fantasy field, right? Like, again, George Kittle is probably one of the best tight ends in the league. You see him pop up with the three touchdown game this week and it, he's here to show you why let alone his blocking highlights but that part of it too right like the scheme is like it's not as this this game's a kittle game this game's not a kittle game and some coaches just do that you know for for their offenses entirely um you know and i think you you waste the potential of guys like a david Njoku or or a kyle pitts um because you know i think pitts could evolve to a new team and just be used as a Jimmy Graham like weapon, right? Like you get him in the right hands and he's going to be dynamite, but you also like, you know, you also have this path that, you know, David Njoku, OJ Howard have had 
and um and you really don't know and and you know like Kyle Pitts just he he's not looking right yet you know I you know was looking at like people's kind of throwing out some of his every snap highlights and some of his routes run and he's not looking right right now um and I think that's going that's playing a part of it too yeah I think I think if I had to put right here on the spot I think I can move look I think I'd move Laporte to fifth ahead of Goddard and Kittle even though I think right now they're better players for their NFL teams for sure but I think there's there's volume concerns with both of them just because of how hot they how high how high octane their offenses are and they're not usually being the first or second read. So then when you take into that account and then you take the age into account, I think he belongs ahead of potentially Kittle and Goddard from that retrospect. I don't think I'm ready yet to go over Pitts. So I think I'd keep Kyle Pitts at four. Uh I think I can move Laporte to five. And 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 kind of say um, I still want to give a little bit longer to Kyle Pitts because it wasn't that long ago that he was number one on everybody's tight end list. So like even being that at four now is, is a pretty substantial drop for Kyle Pitts, who not that long ago most people looked at as their easy consensus, you know, tight end one in dynasty because of Kelsey's age and stuff like that. So that that's where I kind of stand right now. And like you said. This was the perfect transition to the NFL Dynasty Report for this week because we did want to look at the landscape at a tight end position. And then the other four major storylines, and then you kind of go whatever you want. Jonathan Taylor's back, and not only is he back, they signed him to a contract extension. So he's locked in there, I think, with the Colts for for at least two or three more years uh, with, with Anthony Richardson there. So that's going to be a fun backfield, you know, when Jonathan Taylor gets up to speed and Anthony Richardson's, you know, healthy and and, and doing what he does. Uh Miles Sanders is losing a lot of work to Chumba Hubbard. They just gave Miles Sanders a pretty decent running back contract in free agency. So I think that's a little surprising so early in the year. So there's some dynasty ramifications there. We mentioned Tajay Spears before with his rising up. You know, that's only natural then that Derrick Henry's, you know, dynasty value is heading the other way. Is there a trade on the horizon? You know, if, if Tennessee, you know, has he always outplays expectations? So I'm not sure they're going to move Derrick Henry, but is this his last year in Tennessee? So like I think that's a, a, a storyline. And then Cooper Cup's back, and you know he went right back into being Cooper Cup. But Pukunuku is still had a very good game as well. And I think what today showed is there there's enough for both of them uh, to to be really really good uh, to great fantasy assets. Uh, but it was fun to see Cooper Cup back and and doing what he always does as well. So Jeff. Wherever you'd like formally, uh, yeah, I formally issue a peace treaty now between the Cooper Cup faction and the Puka Nakua faction. <laughs> and like, yeah, can, like we are all friends now. Uh, football is life, right? Like, uh, he looks like uh, that character from, uh, you know, Ted Lasso there, the soccer guy, just, you know, happy and like, let us all be happy and just enjoy a pretty, pretty dynamic Rams offense um, with these two wide receivers. You know, we've seen there be enough room before and um you know i think we're just going to have two really good wide receivers here i hope you bought fuka because with this game with cooper cup back he's he's unreachable at this point um you can't trade for him um a, a commentary on jonathan taylor like the contract extension was shocking um it it didn't surprise me with the attitude that Jonathan Taylor came in off the pup and talking with his coach and, you know, saying it's all about Indy and wanting to play. And like, it was just a shocking 180 from him. And I think there was just a lot of work in the background over this last month between his camp, between, you know, the Colts, you know, breaking down Jim Irsay. And, you know, I, it's not, you know, he, he got paid like an average wide receiver, right? Like this isn't some phenomenal, uh, you know, it was three years, 42 million, I think like that's what 14 a year, like, you know, most average wide receivers are getting 15 at this point in time. And, and Jonathan Taylor is getting paid like one of the best running backs in the league at this point. But it, I hopefully, you know, it gives them more than the tag. It gives them some long-term security. And hopefully this is, you know, a structure that teams can kind of use when it, gets to running backs who are really in their peak you know running backs are in their peak at the end of their rookie deal right and the thing is you don't want to overpay a long-term deal to someone at their peak who's not going to look good at the end of that contract 
Um, I think that's why, you know, you don't see Saquon getting four-year deals. You didn't see any, you didn't see J.K. Dobbins getting long-term security. Um, you know, a few, a few players kind of break the mold, CMC, Nick Chubb, you know, is Jonathan Taylor breaking the mold or is he kind of paving the path forward actually for players like Saquon, um, next year? I, that, that'll be something to be seen. Um, but you know, I'm really happy for him. I'm happy to see him on a field. I'm happy to see him playing like the NFL is better when we have Jonathan Taylor playing running back for the and and it's even better that he gets to do it for the indianapolis colts with an extension um let's let's touch on the other running backs though because i think there is you know really concerning trends here so first of all derrick henry i think we've we've seen this trend earlier in the year i think it's made us a little bit worried tennessee gets in a good enough game script and they feed derrick henry and he has a great game and he blows back up on your roster but I think you have to be really careful because, you know, he had another, he still doubled up Ty J Spears' touches, I think, maybe a little bit less with the, the receiving work. But it's, you know, it's going to be feast or famine. Um, Derrick Henry's going to play Houston twice in your fantasy playoffs. So, like, he could still deliver titles and one last hurrah if he's still with, with Tennessee. But you said they always find a way. They're always better than than expected. But if that's not been the case this year, I think Vrabel's a great coach. They're they're struggling. They're 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 struggling. They're not hitting. They're not winning those games that like uh, Mike Tomlin won this past weekend against you know the Ravens. Right, these good coaches pulling out these games. Um, it's the same same kind of thing with Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders. We saw Miles Sanders have all of the touches week one. And just slowly, Chuba Hubbard's come in and just eating into that role. And had this last week has out out touched him. Um, Chuba is one of those ones that it might not be apparent yet, but that's somebody you should probably go get on the back of your roster just in case he does end up displacing Miles Sanders and taking on the majority of the work in Carolina because. It's it's hard to get starting running backs, and if you can get them for cheap before they get there, um, that's going to help your dynasty rosters in the long term. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think it's just surprising, like a guy who a team invested pretty highly for running back standard in Miles Sanders. So they must really be seeing either one of two things: like they must really be seeing like what they're seeing from Chubb Hubbard. Or they're really not liking what they're seeing from Miles Sanders, whether it's on the practice field, in the games, or some type of combination of both. For this to happen as quickly, as, as it's kind of, it's not like this is the first week, right? We're talking about there's been signs of it skewing towards this way, like it was this past week. And we've also seen signs the whole year that Tennessee was going to get the IJ Spears involved. This wasn't going to be like the other years when they drafted somebody like Hassan Haskins or... You know, uh, I think it was Darrington, Darrington Evans, right? They, they came at the end of the third round, I think one year or early fourth round, and they wanted some type of compliment to Derrick Henry. They obviously right away envisioned a significant role for Ty J Spears, and now the Titans sit two and three. If they end up at two and four, two and five, do they start to think, listen, could we get back a third round pick for Derrick Henry? A team maybe needs, who needs a running back? Maybe Baltimore or pick a team out there who's on on the playoff trajectory, you know, and, and would love to have Derrick Henry for the stretch run and doesn't care about like, you know, a third round pick or whatever. Like, you know, like, because if so, Ty, now's the time to get Ty J Spears on your roster too. Because right now, Ty J Spears has, he has value for sure. But no one is, if you be proactive and say, you know what, I'm going to get him now and I'm going to even overpay a little bit. But I think, the time's coming, whether it's during this trade deadline or the offseason. I think by next year, it's Ty J Spears as the focal point of that ground game. And then if the injury issues hold up for a period of time, you're probably talking about somebody who could produce RB1 to high RB2 numbers, low RB1 to high to, high to mid RB2 numbers. Like, I kind of, in a different way, because the age thing is differently, but just like I wanted to be proactive again, Tony Pollard, who's off to a very a little shaky start, but the Dallas run game has just been very inconsistent. And Dallas has played a lot of weird games. They either blow people out or get blown out. But I, I think 
like I've been was saying for years, get Tony Pollard on your team. I think now's the time to try to get Ty J Spears on your team because I think the time is coming sooner rather than later that he could be in a very high impactful. And even in the meantime, he could still be a relevant fantasy piece right now because uh, they are finding a way to try to get him in that 9 to 11 touch range most weeks, even if Derrick Henry uh, is still getting plenty of work as well. So I'd be buying Ty J Spears. If you need running back help right in the media, I think a guy like Chubba Hubbard is a little bit more interesting. Uh, but long term, I would definitely be looking at a guy like Ty J Spears way more than, than Chubba Hubbard. Uh, you know, and we, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, the Cooper Cup Puka thing. I'm right there with, with Jeff. Like, any, there should be no more doubt. They can both survive. We saw Cooper Cup with Robert Woods. Cooper Cup was a, a wide receiver one, Robert Woods was an art wide receiver two. There's room to go there in that offense uh, with that coach, with that play scheme. You know, there's there's more than enough for both of them to be very successful. Uh, and, and we saw that right out of the gate here. Yeah. And just real quick, just, I, you know, I want to give credit to, you know, the Chuba Hubbard situation. Like I wasn't a huge fan of his tape coming out of college. I thought it was very boom bust. I didn't think he had a lot of fundamentals down. And, you know, he's learned to play the running back position at a much higher level. Um, maybe even better than Miles Sanders, you know, who has always kind of thrived off his athleticism and kind of, you know, missed holes and missed pieces. Miles Sanders got better too. I think Chuba Hubbard has gotten a lot better than when we really first saw him as as a prospect and as a rookie. We just hadn't had the opportunity, um, you know, because he had Christian McCaffrey, you know, up until halfway through last year. And I think he played a little bit of a role last year. And I think he's just kind of showing that, um, I, you know, I want to give a credit to Chuba that he's really showing some development in his game, you know, as the reason that he's taking over right now, um, you know, to, I I'd love to get Ty J Spears over Chuba Hubbard too, but you know, Ty J Spears was a rookie. People drafted him and they're seeing him do good. It's going to be really hard to pry him away. You're going to have to double up what they paid for him. If they bought him for a second, you might have to give up a, a first or two seconds or plus to get him. I think with Chuba Hubbard, he's a throw in on a deal, right? Like I, I, you know, I got a, I made a deal for Jonathan Taylor actually right before he came back. And, you know, I just, I asked for Chuba as a throw in because I need depth in this league bad. It's a 14 team league. We start like 11 players. Um, you know, it's like you just need bodies to throw into the lineup some weeks, uh, like Jaleel McLaughlin and, uh, Chuba Hubbard is one of those, those, those players like Jaleel McLaughlin that I'm throwing on the back of these rosters because I'm going to be throwing them into my lineup at times. And uh, yeah, all he was was a throw-in. He was not even worth a third, at, I think. Um, and I think if you threw a third-round pickoff to get Chuba Hubbard, he's going to be able to fill the depth in that you need to make a long-term run. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I agree with I agree with Jeff there, that Hubbard is a guy that you, you get right now. You get him for a plug-and-play to help you in the immediate. But, he, but even what Jeff said there, we talked earlier about the running back landscape of the 2024 NFL draft being a little shaky. Listen, I I don't want to I don't want to send the pick somewhere in the first round that could be, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. or Caleb Williams or even Brock Bowers, but if you're telling me you're a good team and you you're pretty much told that you're going to be in the left, you know, the the back third of the the round one, somewhere in that 9 to 12 range and you feel really confident about that, I might be willing to give up a one to go get Ty J Spears if you're a little light at the running back position or you have an older guy that you think, okay, by next year, I'm really going to need to start like, you know, replenishing there. And you were thinking, okay, I'm going to have to get a a round one running back probably maybe in my, you know, in in the draft. And I'm okay with that because I I think, I think if Ty J Spears is the lead runner in Tennessee next year, I think he might be more valuable than any rookie running back that gets drafted this year. Uh, just, just to base on, I don't know if there's any true difference makers. I don't know if anybody's going to go, like I said, go in the top 50. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a unique rookie draft season for running backs. Guys are going to end up places and get pushed into round one for sure. I just, I just don't think they're going to be guys that are in the top four or five. I think even in rookie drafts, I think it's going to be dominated by, you know, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, and Brock Bowers, and maybe a running back or two gets put in the perfect landing spot to to, to go in the first half of, of rookie drafts. Uh, but if you tell me you have a, you thinking you're pretty sold that it's going to be a late round one rookie pick, I might be willing to give that up uh, to get Ty J Spears now before the inevitability that their Henry moves on. 
uh, and, and have that. So it, that's one of those interesting things where you kind of know, got to know your team, got to know the league well, uh, if you're willing to make that move for sure. So there it is, guys. Another Dynasty Fantasy Report for the NFL season for Week 5. NFL Rookie Report for Week 5. And then obviously the NFL Draft Report and Demi Plant for Week 6 of the college football season. Uh, including our SS Teams of the Week. If you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website. SS Football Fast is the easiest way to get there. Uh, check out our premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all of our premium notebooks. You get the scouting notebook and the rankings notebook immediately, and then draft projections notebook in April. Check out uh, the website for full details on all of that. It is the best way to support the show and to help us continue to do what we do here. So please, if you've bought in the past, we hope that you consider purchasing it again. If you've been a long-time listener, but never checked out the notebook, we do think you will enjoy it. Uh, again, it's $9.99 for access to all three of those notebooks. Jeff, any final parting shots here before we wrap it up? Nah, just really good to get back on the mic after, you know, just taking in too much fun football, you know, last few weekends. Um, best of luck to everybody out there with their fantasy teams, if they're listening for fantasy. And um, just keep 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 those eyes open um, because the, the draft landscape is really shaking up a lot. Absolutely. Uh, so on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.